Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at adces24.org. Hello, and welcome to AADE's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Kirsten Yale, Research and Proposal Manager at AADE, and we've got a great show for you. Today, we're talking about pediatric diabetes care. AADE recently launched new practice guidance and resources around the subject at diabeteseducator.org forward slash pediatrics. So today we had the pleasure of talking to an individual who is so incredibly passionate about diabetes camps and the work they do to support children with diabetes. So let's jump right in and start today's huddle off with a conversation with AADE member and diabetes educator, Carla Cox. We are pleased to welcome Carla Cox to our discussion. I've had the honor of working with Carla on several projects at AADE over the past couple of years, and I'm always awed by her thoughtful work. Carla has a master's degree in nutrition, a doctorate with an emphasis on exercise physiology, and she's been a certified diabetes educator for over 25 years. So Carla, we're so excited to have you here. Thank you. It's good to be here. Can you share a little bit about your background and experience with CAMPS? So I've been doing uh, diabetes camps for approximately 20 years. I um, went to summer camp uh, for kids with diabetes earlier in my career, but I had young children. And so I thought, oh, that was just too cool, but I'm just not ready. So as soon as my children graduated from high school, off I went to camp. And um, so I've been doing that for about 20 years. And I started with one camp, uh, which is a, a great camp in the woods of Montana, And then I was asked to actually come to another camp uh, where they were struggling a little bit with the food and menu. And so I went there. So I started doing two camps. And then I recently moved to Utah and I agreed to do a third camp, wanted to know more about the DIY at camp. So I agreed to do a fourth camp and then got called again and said, you know, we really need your expertise at a camp back east. Would you be willing to spend a week there? So this summer I'm going to five. Holy cow, that's a lot. I know, it's ridiculous. When you're at these camps, you do, it sounds like the the nutrition piece. Is that that where your expertise has been at these camps? Well, yes and no. So I have done a lot with the nutrition piece. In one camp, I organize all the menus and have been there as the, the main RD with some student help. I started at the second camp as the head lead dietitian, but then was asked to do the Uh, head medical basically for the teen camp. So the teens at that camp are embedded in the total large camp, residential camp, um, but they are offset and needed to someone to kind of organize the PAs, the PA students, 
uh, any MDs that were there and the medical part of that, making sure we have all the tools that we need to keep them safe. And so that's probably my favorite because it's teens and it's very, very active. So we're either mountain biking or river rafting or climbing. And so my job there is to just make sure that everyone understands about type 1 diabetes, including the counselors that don't have type 1, and that we keep the kids safe and have emergency supplies and those kinds of things. So I've kind of morphed over the years from just doing the nutrition part. Um, I also lead the outdoor part of another camp uh, where we do some rafting and I take 12 kids backpacking for a couple days. So once again, making sure they stay safe and that it's organized. We have plenty of food. So I do the nutrition part for that as well. So, you know, I've, I've morphed a little bit over the years. You know, it's incredible. It sounds exactly like the summer camps that I went to and have like my best memories from. I, I would even say better than if people talk about high school memories, but my camp memories are the best. Um, but, you know, when you started talking about this, you talked about like some of the technical aspects, um, do it yourself, nutrition, um, managing the medical team. What makes these camps different? Well, the biggest thing about kids diabetes camps that makes them special is that every child that comes belongs to the norm. So I hear that a lot, that everybody at camp has type 1 diabetes pretty much. I don't have type 1. I've just worked in it for close to 40 years. But most of the people there, the counselors, much of the medical staff, all have type 1. So these kids, I mean, I'm the odd man out. And these kids just feel so at home at that camp. Uh, we frequently hear them say that it's their best week of the year is being able to come to kids' diabetes camp. That's heartwarming, super heartwarming. So when you're there, and especially because you have all this experience or growing experience at these camps, can you take us through a day? Like, what does a day at camp look like? Okay. So first of all, I should say that there's a lot of planning before camp. So there's an entire team of people that works on the medical part, making sure the supplies are there, making sure there are activities that are suitable, and some of them are games that teach. Um, that we have all the food and the menus planned. So there's a lot of pre-camp planning. And then uh, when kids come to register, they've already registered obviously online or, or by, by writing. And then they come in and we check off all of their pump supplies to make sure they have extras. Um, we check their settings. And in some of the camps I go to, they actually ask the parents to reduce the basal rates and the correction doses and insulin to carb ratios in their pumps or um, if they're giving injections. And then um, we double check that to make that sure that's fine. That's not true of all camps, but that's true of some of the camps. So we'll check all that. They always take their temperature to make sure they don't have the flu because we don't want the flu coming to camp. Um, and then they get to unfortunately have to go home, which is rare, but it does happen on occasion. So that would be their uh, beginning when they first get there. We make sure there's snacks available soon after they get there because some of them have traveled a far away. Um, and we just don't want to make, we want to make sure that they have plenty of fuel. And then, of course, they have treatments if their blood sugars are low. We also, something else I should, should mention is that prior to camp, all of the staff also goes through training modules. So recently, we've actually developed some consistent some training modules, 12 of them, which people can take online. And then when they get to camp, the staff comes a day early and they actually spend time learning about type 1 diabetes treatments, how it differs at camp, how we do overnight checks on blood sugars, et cetera. So I, I should have brought that in earlier, but that's another piece of the 
the prep for camp. So now we have the kids, they've checked in, they've checked in with the doctors if needed. And then they really start with fun activities. They get, it's icebreakers, getting with their counselors, finding their cabins and putting their things away. And um, they hit the ground literally running. So then, of course, we have activities planned, lots of outdoor activities, because I do a lot of, of time in camps that are rural and in the mountains. And so we do lots of canoeing and um, hiking and biking and soccer games and gaga ball. And all the time, there are medical people around making sure that they're safe. There are counselors there making sure that the behavioral issues are safe. Uh, what I always do at camps is I, I create treatment boxes so that there's you know glucose tabs and juice and those kinds of things available all the time if we need them. So, and then usually in the evening, there's some kind of activity that may be an inspirational speaker. Now, the ones you're talking about are the overnight camps, right? Yes. The overnight, like outdoorsy ones that I remember. Then there's also day camps too, right? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And do those require the same amount of planning and support that the overnight camps do? They require lots of planning, but I wouldn't say it's as challenging because we don't have to have quite the supplies the camp I'm going to this this year, they're actually bringing their own lunches and we're just providing snacks. But you still have to have lots of planning and certainly lots of medical staff and people that know what's going on to have activities planned for the kids because you don't want them to be, you know, bored sitting around doing nothing. That would be terrible at camp. So yeah, I mean, it takes, I would say, less, perhaps less rigor and less in-depth planning, but it still requires quite a bit of planning as any camp does, right? Right, right. Well, and the activities you mentioned were really, I mean, sounded fantastic. So like the rafting and the hiking and the climbing. Is that, I mean, so the kids that come to camp, whether it be day camp or overnight camp, are they are they able to pull off these activities the same way, you know, a child without diabetes would be able to? Absolutely. So there are kids that come that are very credibly fit. We have kids that come that do triathlons and endurance rides, you know, some of the teenage kids when they're home. But there's certainly the unfit kids as there would be in any camp. So, for example, one of our teen adventures is mountain biking. Um, they actually have the mountain bikes at camp and they fit them to the kids. And, you know, some of the kids can maybe make a mile. And other kids are up and down the mountains on single track doing all sorts of stuff. So we just have to make sure that we have counselors and med staff to cover all aspects of whether the kids can do those things, but there's no reason that type one diabetes has to be a barrier at all. Well, it sounds like just what camp or summer camp is supposed to be, which is, you know, empowering you in a different place outside of your everyday life. It's just fantastic that kids with, with diabetes can do this. Can I ask, um, is there anything that you could share that families should be aware of when their children are attending camp? Yes, that they may not want to go home, right, right, um, because they <laughs> they're having such a good time. We were talking the other day. I was at a, a meeting and we were talking about camps and how you know the first time a kid ever comes to diabetes camp, they're little kids. A lot of times, even older kids, it's like their parents are saying, "You're going." You know, this is the place we want you. You're going, and they're like tears, and the parents are tearing because they're finally, you know, allowing their children to be outside of their sight for a few minutes while they have diabetes, and and then when they come to pick them up. The kids are like crying because they're having to go home. <laughs> so there's quite a switch. Um, I, you know, I think that, that the take-home message really for parents is the kids will be safe. 
I think that's the biggest fear. They, you know, they're, they're now so attached to their kids, many of them monitoring them with continuous glucose monitors, and they're afraid to let that go. And I think it's really important to realize that the kids will be safe. We have a wonderful medical staff taking care of them, um, that hopefully they'll go home more empowered to take care of their diabetes. And the research studies would support that. They do better generally for about three months. Uh, we need to have camp every three months uh, because then they tend to go back to their old habits. But I think those are the take-home messages for parents. The camps are pretty strong about behavioral aspects. And so if children are really misbehaving and causing uh, problems, um, they have the potential to be removed from camp, but that doesn't happen very often. But parents need to be aware. They sign a contract that kids need to behave. I mean, obviously giving too much insulin and making cells go low for attention is not appropriate. And we sometimes see that. So, but basically the kids have last. It sounds like for parents of children with diabetes, it might just be that one, maybe it's that one break that they, if they, if they can, if they can trust that the kids are going to be okay, it's that one break that they get where they can take a deep breath. Absolutely. And it's interesting. You talked about that three months. So do, do you get kids that come back every year? And do you see that that three month, the three month behavior change extends if they come back? I can't say that I've seen any good research data that would support that. Yeah. Um, from a insight perspective, from those of us that have done this for years, the kids that tend to come back year after year after year generally are kids that are doing reasonably well, uh, but not always. Let me give you a little story. So I have one young lady who is now 26 years old, and she has come to camp since she was diagnosed at the age of 12. And it's interesting to watch her. She never has what I would consider poor control, but you know, anyone see around 8.5 is common for her. And every year when she comes to camp, whether she's 13, 14, 15, or 25, she now comes back as a counselor. Every time she leaves camp, she puts her insulin pump back on and has better A1Cs for the next three months. Wow. So she's been doing this for 13 years and it or more. And I don't, you know, as camp goes away and, and the thoughts of camp go away six months, eight months later, she's back to an 8.5. But, you know, quarterly, she, she, it does make a difference. It's fascinating. She's a very bright young lady, just doesn't really like to wear a pump. She's uh, very attractive. And I think that's part of it. She doesn't want to wear it on her. But when she's at camp, man, she's just like, that she told me when she says, I feel out of it if I don't have my pump on. Well, you know, it, it's just a, a reminder, I think, about how powerful peer groups are and the impact they can have, especially on children and adolescents, right? Yes, absolutely. In a positive or negative way. And hopefully we support the positive at camp. I mean, I'm sure there's some, you know, back um, in the back alley places talking about, oh, this is what I do. That's not exactly right. But in general, I think the counselors, the kids are very supportive. In fact, it's so interesting when I go backpacking with the kids, they are often stopping to check their blood sugar, particularly before we had sensors, to see thinking they're low because it's an activity they're not used to. And sometimes we have to stop a lot for lows and everyone is supportive. I never hear anyone say, oh, would you stop going low? I mean, we're just having to stop all the time. And they're very supportive of each other at camp. It's, it's really, it's a club. It's a club. Yeah, that's fantastic. And just on a side note, those um, the backpacking trips, do you actually leave camp and go on a backpacking trip and camp somewhere else in a tent? Is that how it? Yes. Awesome. 
Oh, it is. And we sometimes, at one of the camps I go to, we actually will drive sometimes an hour and a half to two hours because it's the most spectacular scenery in the entire state that we go up and over a pass and kids that have never been there, you know, so they, we don't just start camping from there or hiking from there. We just get out and look and take it all in and they take pictures and, and then we go on to do our hike, which is usually into a lake or a stream. And we've done a lot of uh, fly fishing, teaching them how to fly fish. Um, we have a group of us that are are reasonable at fly fishing. And so we get a license to be able to teach kids how to fly fish. So we do that a lot at this camp, at these two camps actually as well. So if you could see me right now, you would know that like, I want to go back to summer camp right now. Like, come. Listening to your stories, right? <laughs> well, maybe I could come back and volunteer, right? I think you should. So quick, so quick side here too. Like, what do you think diabetes educators should be aware of? At, at summer camps? Number one, I think they ought to know that they should go. So the most important thing is every camp needs diabetes educators. doesn't matter what particular specialty they're in. They need people that are very astute, particularly to type 1 diabetes. But if someone is a specialist in type 2 diabetes and wants to learn about type 1 diabetes, the learning curve is amazing. It's like when we take students like PA students or pharmacy students or med students, their learning curve is amazing. Even parents who have kids with diabetes have no idea the difference from child to child. So I guess number one is volunteer. Number two is you will learn a lot. I've been doing this for 40 years. I learn a lot all the time. Um, And then I think the other thing is to do oversight. So when kids are bolusing as a diabetes educator, you're going to be part of the medical team. And it's so important to kind of oversee that because there are young children that um, obviously we oversee, but it's really the teens that I find sometimes are manipulating. um, And we just need to make sure that they're doing what we want to do. It's not telling them what to do, but watching them, monitoring them and having those teachable moments where you can say, okay, let's talk about what just happened. And let's talk about what that might end up looking like in the next couple hours. So that's the other piece, I think. You know, it's interesting, like if you're a diabetes educator and you don't have a child at home with diabetes, this sounds just like an opportunity to live a day in the life or like a week in the life of a child with diabetes. Absolutely. Any, do you have any like great stories you could share just from like, um, had my first kiss at summer camp or the first time I ever snuck out was at summer camp. Any great stories you could share? So those are things you get kicked out of camp for. Oh, oh no. <laughs> just kidding. So uh, the aha kind of moments. I mean, certainly friends is a big deal. I can say I have one young lady who is now an, a nurse. Um, she's 24 years old. And the friends that she has made, and she continues to text as they all went to college. In fact, this is fun. She she went on every backpack trip from the time we started at 13, and she went on every backpack trip until she graduated. And when she graduated from camp at age 17, she said, we got to keep doing this. So the next year, I actually did a college backpack trip with her and the kids that she texts a lot Mm -hmm. so that we could continue to be together, basically, and they keep in contact all the time. So I don't know if that's an aha moment, but it's really cool to see that kind of camaraderie developing at camp. The other things that happen at camp a lot are kids will give their first shot. They will change their infusion set. So it's in a completely different spot. 
They will try a new infusion set. Maybe they've been having problems with blockages and they'll use a stainless steel one, which they never would before. So there's lots of those diabetes moments at camp that are great. So I see that a lot. But the the lifetime of friendships is really special, especially when, I, when I've worked um, historically, I'm now working just in peds, but, I, but I've worked uh, the gamut from two-year-olds to, you know, 85-year-olds with type 1 diabetes or older. And some of them know no one that has type 1 diabetes. I mean, they may have had diabetes for 30 years and they know no one. So these kids will never be that way. They will always have someone that they know that's supportive and cares and can share those experiences. And it sounds incredible, especially that backpacking trip you mentioned or trying the new syringe. Um, you know, the, the trying the new syringe reminded me about CGMs. And then it makes me think about parents monitoring CGMs from home. How do you handle that? Do you support it or not? That's a huge national discussion. I'm on the National Medical Committee for um, a for American Diabetes Association. So huge amount of camps they have. And it's been, we actually set a policy because it's everyone is overly concerned about it. In fact, everybody's concerned about technology in general. We have a technology committee with tips and things like that for people because we're so concerned about the technology being taken care of at camp. But so the policy that we collectively have agreed on is kids are going to have to bring their cell phones to camp. Some of the systems only talk to cell phones, but that that should not be shared with parents while they're at camp. So the, the reason is behind that. I mean, day camps are a little bit different. Sometimes some of the day camps um, and certainly some of the day camps that are not ADA associated, uh, which are a lot of them as well, um, may choose to share because it's day camp. But overnight camp, I don't know any of them that are wanting to share with parents as a rule. Some are experimenting with them, doing research on it, but not as a rule. So we turn them on to Bluetooth only or airplane mode so that um, that information will not be sent on to the parent. And of course, the concern is, you know, RC goes low and their RC is treated, but the parent doesn't see that, that that child has been treated at that point in time. So they freak out, right? And so they are calling two o'clock in the morning, whatever. So the idea is parents need to be off for the week. They need to trust us. And we also don't want them talking to their parents a lot of camp because this is a time to be without a lot of technology. Well, and if parents can let go and, and have that trust, I think, again, that that's, that's the one week where they can add to a healthy environment or keep building their, their mental health. So that, that's really neat. Um, the one thing we, we, didn't, we didn't talk about either, too, was the um, type 2. So we talk a lot about type 1, and I think many of these camps have been um, developed for type 1, but we're seeing more and more type 2 emerging, especially in adolescence. How are camps addressing it? Are, are there any camps for type two or, you know, can type two go to the diabetes camps also? That's a really good question. So yes, children with type two diabetes can attend the camps that are principally kids with type one. Anecdotally, what I found is they don't feel that they're in the right place. I have not, we've had several kids come, not a lot. I mean, this isn't research-based but it's it's a it's a different disease, really. Um, so they're certainly welcome to try it, but I find that they just don't feel a part of the camp experience. That said, they are developing camps. Power Up is one of them that is specifically for children with type two diabetes, 
or insulin resistance or that are at risk of type 2 diabetes. And they have a number of those starting up throughout the country. And the model generally is to have families as part of that support system so that families may be there for um, evening talks and discussions. They may be parallel to the kids at camp, but it seems to be more family related than um, type 1 diabetes is from an environmental perspective. So that's the trend. And I think as we see more and more kids with type 2 diabetes, certainly they're going to hopefully open up more and more opportunities for kids that have type 2 diabetes or other kinds of diabetes. I mean, there's other, there's multiple kinds of diabetes. And so um, perhaps they're going to find a place for everyone. Power Up is a great resource. So truly appreciate that one. You know, I think we're coming close to our end here. I guess one of, one of my questions, we, we talked a little bit about how diabetes educators can get involved in diabetes camps. How can diabetes educators promote the camps to their patients? Well, I talk about them all the time. So every time a child comes to my office, one of the things we talk about is, have you ever been to camp? My patients, when I was in my practice uh, for 30 years, heard it every quarter when they'd come in for a visit, I'd say, hey, the camp is going to be such and such. Are you going to go? In my new practice, many of those kids have never heard about camp, interestingly enough. And there's a day camp that's right in the same location where I work. There's no residential camps. So I'm every time I see them, I'm asking that they're going to go to camp. So I think we can all do that. I also think we can give out, um, we can go to health fairs and we can give out information like uh, YMCA health fair, for example, and give out some brochures on camp, whether it be camp for type two or type one diabetes. I think we can do that. I think those are all ways that we can involve kids. I think sharing the information with the providers, some family practice docs may see um, kids with diabetes and not be so connected to the diabetes community perhaps. And so sharing that information with them, they always have brochures. And if people want to go to camp, um, if the diabetes educator wants to go to camp, they can Google um, diabetes.org and they can find the, the American Diabetes Association camps, or they can go to DECA Diabetes Education Camping Association website. And there, I believe they have 120 camps listed from all over the country to sometimes in other parts of the world. I know there's a couple camps in Ecuador. There's one in Brazil. Um, off and on, there's some in Africa. So if somebody wants to be a little more daring, um, those are opportunities as well. So yeah, I think we just need to keep encouraging kids to go and then it's not just a place where you talk about diabetes. Well, well, you took the words out of my mouth with like, how do you find these camps? So you think diabetes.org and DECA are great resources, right? They're probably the two best resources. Okay. I mean, the other thing to do is just talk to, you know, if they're a big city, they can call. So Carla, when you talk about finding and choosing a camp, what is the best way that parents can evaluate? Or what, are there any um, data points that they can look at when evaluating camps that are specific to their child? Well, that's a great question. I think the answer is uh, nothing is out there right now that would really be a uh, objective way of evaluating them. I would say that if they go to either one of those two websites, they're a safe camp, meaning that they have the tools to take care of kids. So that would be number one. The other thing that they could do is they could call the 
the camp. So let's say it's Camp Colorado and they've looked at it and it's an adventure camp and they think their their teenager would really like to go. And I would just call the organizer of it and ask to be linked to another parent um, and talk with them about how they feel that um, a parent whose kid has been to camp multiple times. That's probably how I would go about doing it at this point. But that's a good point and should be there should be a, a, a checkoff tool to use, you know, like here's, here's the checklist and these are the things this camp has. Um, they can also, I mean, there's, there's, most of them have websites and they can get on and kind of peruse through the website. So that would be another way. But as far as, you know, is this place a safe place to send my kid? Should I be doing that? And I think those two sites assure that they are safe places. Um, and then if you want to make sure that it has the activities your kids want, you can go to a website. And then if you really want to know what the camp's like, I would, I would call another parent and I'm sure you can get that from the, the organizers. So that, that, that makes a ton of sense. So the safety is taken care of with the camps listed at DECA and diabetes.org. And then like thinking from any parent's point of view, whether your child has diabetes or not, it's just choosing the right place for your child, like knowing them, thinking about them, thinking what their interests are, and then matching them to the right camp. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what, what about affordability? Is that a barrier or are there ways, are there grants or any ways to make these affordable for kids and families? So I would say that the camps that I have been mostly associated with uh, never say no. So there are grant opportunities. There are most of these camps have a fund that they have tried to gather uh, scholarships for so that kids can go to camps. There are some of the, the counselors, I know one in particular who is just won't, she won't even take a job if they won't let her off for camp. She's now in her 30s. And um, she actually goes to her local banks and gets support and then hands that off to the camp so that they have monies. So I would say it should not, to my understanding, it's never a barrier in the camps that I've worked at. It depends. I mean, if a kid wants to go to a specialty diabetes camp, like a basketball camp, maybe that's a problem because there's some of those camps specific. There's a surf camp specific to type 1 diabetes um, they're ski camps specific to type 1 diabetes. Um, so some of those may be a barrier, but um, a general camp, I don't think so. So now that you mentioned that ski camp, you could almost do a summer camp and then a winter camp. You could. Yeah. Then you could get that like three month positive outcome for like twice a year. Yeah. There's a group that actually has uh, writing on insulin is actually another place people can look at their schedule if they want to be a winter person and they have snowboard and skiing and they actually have mountain biking in the summer. So that's a really fun um, nonprofit organization. It's run by a husband and wife and they do stuff all over the United States and actually have a camp in New Zealand and one in Canada. That is absolutely fantastic. Hey, Carla, this has been the best discussion. You've inspired me. I might be volunteering at a camp close by this summer. Um, is there anything before we go that you want to add? No, I think the big deal is just volunteer. I mean, I, I just, even if it's half a week, I mean, most of the time it's not like one day unless it's a day camp, but just volunteer because not only will you learn a lot. I mean, I go to camp obviously every year and sometimes multiple times during the year. And I always come back with more than I went with. Um, yeah. And I just encourage people to go. Yeah, it's fantastic. All right. Well, I want to make sure that I mention um, we have a pediatrics paper and we're going to have a pediatrics page um, coming out for AADE. You can find it at diabeteseducator.org forward slash pediatrics. And I think that's all for today. Thank you, Carla. Thank you very much. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. Today we learned so much from Carla about diabetes camps. We learned camps have a tremendous impact on young lives. There's so much value there for both the children and young adults and their families. Talk to your clients about camp to see if it might work for them. We learned that every camp needs diabetes educators, so please volunteer. As Carla said, you'll learn so much in a relatively short amount of time. And finally, we learned that camps are for everyone. Even though many are focused on type 1 diabetes, there's a camp for every person, no matter the income level, hobby, or type of diabetes. And you can play a role in getting them there. To access resources and notes from today's discussion, please visit diabeteseducator.org forward slash podcasts. And I encourage you to learn more about diabetes camps and pediatric diabetes care at diabeteseducator.org forward slash pediatrics. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.